Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 77, recorded on July 31st, 2017. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and on this week's episode, we've got a full trade trade. I always screw this up one way or another. We've got a full trade deadline to discuss, including the Indians' own acquisition of Joe Smith. We'll break down the Royals and whether or not we should really be afraid of them. We'll look ahead to the brutal month of August that lies ahead for the Indians, and of course, we will take your questions. But before we get into all that, I wanted to thank everybody listening live now on Facebook or wherever or when are you going to be tuning in, please remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, and consider leaving a review. It helps us improve, get discovered, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, joining me for that and more, as always, is Mr. Jason Lucart. Jason, how you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, happy to be past the trade deadline. We talked last week about how annoying the run-up to the trade deadline can be because there's so much more smoke than fire, and today there was some actual fire, and I'm happy to be clear of it. I feel like it's getting worse every year, too. This seems like by far the worst year of everybody's talking to everybody, and it's all a report now. And it was kind of funny how, like, when New Darvish was traded, it was apparently at the very last second, and Ken Rosenthal must have loved the fact that he got that tweet because he tweeted, Ken Darvish traded, and then the trade was all in caps. Like, we're building it up to be a dramatic thing now. Like, it's not just incidental that it's the trade deadline and dramatic. We're We're making it dramatic for the sake of it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think to me the most notable development was that, uh, not the Darvish one, but there were a couple fairly significant trades that were basically just announced by the teams at the time that, that none of the, the reporters had. And, and, you know, I don't know if uh, Rosenthal and Heyman were just uh, under the weather in the last few days or what, but I think it's interesting that some of the teams were were able to keep a wrap on things and uh, just announce it themselves. Forget the the teams. It was Paul Hoynes scooping people out there. He had a couple today. Um, he had, what was it? I think he had the Zach Britton rumor first, which didn't turn out to be anything. But And then he also had the actual confirmation of the trade first. So so Paul Hoynes is out foxing Ken Rosenthal and John Heyman and all them this year. I haven't seen much of Heyman at all. It's, it's all been Rosenthal for me that I've noticed. Anyway. Yeah, I noticed, you're right. I haven't really noticed him in much either. So the Indians did make a trade. Uh, probably not the most exciting in the world, but they did get Joe Smith, um, a former Indians pitcher from 2009 to 2013. He's He looks really good this year. I mean, if you're just, if you haven't watched a whole lot of baseball or watched a whole lot of Joe Smith, you might think this is maybe a bad trade, but I'm, I'm kind of a big fan of it. They didn't give up a whole lot, although we'll talk about what he gives up in a minute and why it might be more than... I'm completely comfortable with, but they didn't give up a ton. Um, but they did get the reliever. He, he's he's not a lefty that they wanted, but he's okay at getting lefties out. He has a really good slider this year, so I think he'll fit somewhere in the bullpen. The most important thing I'll do is just take some pressure off Brian Shaw. and um, So we won't use Andrew Miller quite as much in the regular season. I think just 
the Indians have a few really great relievers who are getting taxed, and they need one more pretty good reliever to spell them for a little bit, I think. So so what do you think of Joe Smith, Jason? I like it. You know, I liked him when he was here before. He's having a, you know, a good year. His strikeouts are way up. Um, this is like exactly the kind of move for however long since I gave in and was willing to talk about the trade deadline, however many weeks ago that was, that I've been saying I expected, that they weren't going to add any major piece, they weren't going to move one of their top prospects, um, you know, something like trying to improve the bullpen on the margins, and that's what's happened. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I know the, the bigger names because the Indians were at least, you know, in some cases connected, more connected than a lot of other teams were. Um, you know, Darvish being the most prominent, Zach Britton. Uh, you know, I know there's a certain segment of the fan base that's bummed out that there wasn't a bigger splash, but I never thought there'd be a bigger splash. And frankly, I'm glad there wasn't a bigger splash. Yeah, I think this is more, it's not like an Andrew Miller trade, but it's kind of close to the, the Brandon Geyer trade the Indians made last year. Although um, the pitcher they gave up is nowhere near the the kind of nowhereness of Nathan Luke's. Um, if you haven't heard of him, Thomas Pannone, he's a lefty. He technically wasn't on MLB Pipeline's top 30, but um, Jordan Bastion tweeted a lot of teams see him as, and they saw him as, I guess, an Indian's top 10 prospect. Um, he's a really good lefty. He's he's young for his age at double-A. He didn't allow a single run in high A this year, so he's kind of an exciting prospect. I think it might, maybe might turn into like our own Mike Clevenger, where we trade a, a pitcher for half a season. He turns out to be good years later, because Pannon's still a couple years off, but he's young, and he, he might be a really good lefty that might make us sort of regret getting Joe Smith, but I mean, if the Indians win a World Series, who cares? But it might look sort of bad in the future, but for now it works. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, anytime you give up a prospect, it might look bad in the future, but guys with, you know, his overall profile, the average outcome for them, the average outcome, or the median outcome, we'll say, is... They never even make the majors. So, I mean, I, I won't be stunned if he makes the majors. I'll be pretty stunned if he turns out to be special or, you know, even Joe Smith caliber, which I understand there's the, you know, oh, well, we're giving up, you know, six years of someone for, you know, half a season of someone. But I, I don't know. I, I can't get worked up about someone who wasn't one of the, by most accounts, was not one of the Indians' top 25 prospects. He's having a nice season. Um but for me, he's one of the the many, 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 many Indian <laughs> minor leaguers who they could have traded today that wouldn't have made me blink. Although I will disagree. I think in, in most cases, he was a top 25. It was just MLB pipeline, which reporters referenced the most that he wasn't. But most places did at least have him in the top somewhere, I think. But I think I he was... Know. I don't feel like most outlets even... There's not. I think they, they reference MLB pipeline because there's not that many places that that go 30 deep. I don't know what Baseball America's list look like. Well, I mean, whenever he's like just talking about prospects, Thomas Pannone is almost always mentioned. He's not in the top 10, but he's always mentioned as like one of the closest or one we were considering or one of the Indians' best pitching prospects. He was up there, not like... Uh, mainly because the Indians don't have a lot of pitching prospects. I'll go on record but... I don't think it's a big deal to lose him. <laughs> I don't either. I think, I think he was a prospect that like... He was one that the Indians might have known going in they were going to trade because he was sort of... I don't want to say under, undervalued. I'm sure other teams knew about him, but he wasn't like a Tristan McKenzie, almost untradeable kind of thing. He was a good enough pitcher to get some value and they were able to deal him and they got who they wanted for him, I think. And at King Kong 556, he just wants to know simply, did the tribe do enough or too little at the deadline? Um, which I guess is kind of the 
the whole point of talking about the trade deadline afterwards is do you think the Indians did enough? Um, are you happy with just getting Joe Smith? I mean, they can still always do more in August. I think people forget that. But looking at it right now, have the Indians done enough, you think? Yeah, I feel like they I mean, they went into the season with a roster that I thought should be good enough to win the Central and good enough to be you know, competitive with anyone in the postseason. And the, the last four months haven't changed the outlook of the roster, really, in terms of like, oh, well, gosh, it turns out that, you know, I mean, there's guys having better seasons, guys having worse seasons, that sort of stuff. But like we've talked about for weeks, there's just not there's not a glaring weakness. There's positions where they could be getting better production, but uh, there's the Indians should still win the Central, and we'll talk about what the race looks like a little later, but they should still win the Central, I think. Uh, there was nothing they were going to do today that was going to make them the favorites if they play Houston, uh, but they've beat Houston a handful of times already this season. Like there's, there's no, there's no reason to think they can't get back to and even win the World Series. They, they didn't need to do more than this. And if they had done something bigger than this, I probably wouldn't have been happy with the price they paid to do it. I mean, when they were talking about you, Darvish, you know, I know you were going to dig around a little bit and try to kind of come up with a comparable package to what the Dodgers actually gave up. The conversations this morning on Twitter were, oh, well, you know, what if, uh, should they give up Mejia? And I was like, no, they're, good gosh, no, they're not going to give up Mejia. <laughs> and they shouldn't give up Mejia. Uh, oh, what about McKenzie? No, they shouldn't do that either. Like, they're, I just don't think anything bigger was ever that likely. And that's because I think the Indians front office views players pretty reasonably yeah my whole goal coming into it if they unless they could get i don't know who they could get to be worth it but it would just be to not trade francisco mejia i think we talked about that before too and um just the fact they didn't do too much like you said trading him for you darvish would have been ridiculous we'll talk about that in a minute the what it could be but but yeah i'm glad they went in they didn't do too much and i would i'd be okay with trading tristan mckenzie for some things but francisco mejia there's i think looking at what was traded over the deadline the Indians probably could have got any player they wanted once Jose Quintana was gone. Like any package around Mejia, he was better than pretty much any prospect dealt um, at the trade deadline. Really close. Maybe he's better than Blake Rutherford. He, maybe not better than what the Cubs got for, or what the Cubs sent away for Quintana, but just about everybody else. If the Indians wanted anybody, they could have said, here's Francisco Mejia, give him to us. I mean, I'm sure even Sonny Gray, they could have got him, but I'm glad they held on to him, even if they didn't just. I'm I'm all for going all in, but I'm also for not destroying your window to win. And I think if Francisco Mejia is a hit, then that extends that for several more years and several other chances they have to go all in at the deadline. And this is just a really well-made team that doesn't need anything immediate like a lot of other teams do. Yep, I agree. And we can go straight into what. Um, so the the question about the U Darvis package it was from at uh, my name Moses on Twitter. His question was, what do you think about the asking price for you? Could they have made a run at Lynn? So the first part, looking at just Jeff Passan's quick um, just scouting of the prospects, I know nothing about Dodgers prospects, so <laughs> I'm pretty much guessing here. But um, they basically sent Willie Calhoun, who was the 69th overall prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. He's just a big power bat, uh, might not stick at second base. They sent AJ Alexi, who strikes out a lot of guys, but he's still going to grow into his own frame, I guess is what you want to call it. And they sent Brendan Davis, who's another big infielder, potential to flop with a lot of upside. So just my rough estimate of what that might be, I thought maybe like Bobby Bradley is like the equivalent of Calhoun a little bit. Um, Brendan Davis, I was going to say like Will Benson. Maybe that's, the if, if the Indians did that package, that'd probably be enough. Just Bobby Bradley and Will Benson, I would think. 
Um, but then if they threw in another pitcher like AJ Alexi, I think it'd be Thomas Pannone. Because like I said, I think the Indians came in knowing they were going to deal him. Um, a lot of teams would probably be looking at him as an undervalued pitcher. Who the Indians would send away, and I think they probably would. So if I was going to estimate, I'd probably say Bobby Bradley, Thomas Pannone, and Will Benson. Something like that um, for you. Uh, would you have been okay with that? I don't know. How, I know you don't pro- follow the prospects a whole lot, but a package of like that, would you have been okay for you, Darvish? And like, I, I, I think you're about right. I think Bradley being the, the closest comp the Indians have for the big piece is true. Um, in my mind, Benson's a little more valuable a prospect than either of the other two guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think you're in the right ballpark of what it would have taken. And I, yeah, I just wouldn't have been thrilled to give that up. I, I understand why the Dodgers did it um, because the Dodgers have money the Indians don't and, and don't need – it's not to say their prospects don't matter, but it's just the, the math is different. And I think you're about right with what it would have taken, and I just wouldn't have been that thrilled. You Darvish – I don't feel like you Darvish is peak you Darvish anymore either. Um, you know, he'd certainly be an improvement over the Indians' rotation. You know, he'd, he'd bump someone he's much better than and solidify that. So it's not that he wouldn't upgrade the team, but – I, I sort of feel like the trade deadline, I, I teach fourth grade and we take the kids on field trips and a lot of times the kids bring money for the gift shop and so often they go into the gift shop with like the $20 that their mom or dad gave them and they're just adamant that they're going to spend them, spend the money. And I tell them like, listen, if there's, if there's nothing that's really worth the money, just keep the money. You don't have to spend it just because you got it. And I feel like sometimes people feel like, oh, well, you know, we, we had this. For, we we should have gotten something for this. We should have done this. And I know it's, you know, it's not always exciting to stand pat. But sometimes standing pat, which is pretty close to what the Indians did, uh, is the smart play. Yes, they could have made the team, you know, the, the 2017 team a little bit better. But I think what it would have done to 2018 and beyond in this particular situation, I don't think would have been worth it. Yeah, I feel like I mentioned that you Darvish, I mean, in the post that I made for the news thing, that he isn't peak you Darvish anymore. And people sort of like jumped on that, but he he's not. <laughs> like nothing about him is as good as it used to be. So it's clear he wasn't traded for his peak numbers, which is why the Indians, I think, were were in on him because they could have got him way cheaper than his track record because of just he's not as good. He's still really good. Like you said, he'd probably be the number three or four pitcher for the Indians, but he's not worth like a McKenzie or Mejia or anything. So, but yeah, I think we're both pretty much in agreement that we're good with what the Indians did. And as far as could they have made a run at Lynn? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even hear like any, any, like the Indians are interested in Lynn. I heard a bunch of reporters saying he would be a fit there, but I didn't hear anything else after that. I think he would, he's another one. The Indians could have got extremely cheap. Um, and put, put him in like the back of the rotation somewhere. That's the kind of move I wanted. We talked about it last week, but they didn't do that either. As long as they didn't get you Darvish, I'm good with it. Cause I, I didn't want like it all. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess the other thing, another team has been trading a lot. Or actually, is there anything else about the deadline, Jason? So pretty much your only thoughts on it. The Indians are pretty good. Uh, they're still pretty good. I mean, I think you know what's worth talking about is just kind of looking around the American League and, and who else did what. Uh, you know, starting with the AL Central. It's interesting. The, the Twins. I don't know, eight nine days ago, maybe fewer than that, uh, were buying and and traded for Jaime Garcia, and then in the span of like six days decided, uh, we shouldn't have been buying. We should have been selling and traded him away. <laughs> I do think they got back better value than they gave up. So I think they upgraded their, their farm system through the two trades, but it was, it was, it was funny to see them 
spin around that quickly. They totally uh, but, meant to do that, Jason. That was all on purpose. Royals <laughs> decided to be buyers. Uh, Melky Cabrera they picked up, who's you know not a huge piece, but uh, isn't nothing. And I mean, I'm not surprised. It, it made no. I know you've been cheering for them to to stay in contention and not sell. Uh, you know, which some people thought they should sell. Standing pat for them is what made no sense. They either should have sold, or if they weren't going to sell, then you know whatever value they had left to buy with, they might as well have bought, which is what they did. Uh, you know, they're two games back, so it's not surprising that they bought. They they still they have the core of a team that won the American League twice. Uh, Twenty, I think, three weeks ago, I was worried about the Tigers. You were worried about the Twins, and the Royals were just sort of ha ha ha. And you know, here we are end of July and the Royals are the team that, you know, the Indians are going to have to beat now. Yeah. The Royals remember they started, their offense was horrific at the beginning. So they didn't, they, they came out of nowhere. And I mean, as much as I've been saying, you know, haha, the, the Royals are rebuilding or they should be rebuilding, but they're, they're going on and look at them. Part of me, I don't know, kind of, kind of like, or I don't say I like it, but if I was a Royals fan, I was able to like look past the fact that they're torching the, the team for like the next decade it's almost kind of admiral just taking your the one last shot you have because you never know how a rebuild goes. Maybe if they they trade all their prospects, they'd all flop, and you'd be like another two decades without winning. They have a shot now to win, and they're going for it. And part of me kind of admires that a little bit. And if I was if I was like a, just a, a casual Royals fan, I think I would be way all in and excited for it to see him doing it. Um, but anybody who watches the Royals and kind of has an eye at the future probably is a little worried, but. I don't know. I kind of hope you enjoy the ride. I hope it fails for you just because I don't want the Royals to be good. They they weren't going to rebuild their farm system into like a top five farm system, even if they sold. We've seen the trade market for rentals isn't that much. They weren't going to, you know, I mean, you know, they, they would have gotten some some prospects, but. I think it's the difference of being, you know, a near the bottom farm system or an average farm system. I think either way. After this year, the next five years weren't going to be great. And maybe it's the difference between, you know, winning 80, 85 games somewhere in there instead of peaking out at like 75. And in some ways, you might as well just bottom out. They should be pretty bad for a few years, but they'll get some high draft picks, uh, you know, and maybe they'll have another postseason run to remember, depending on how things play out this year. Yeah, there might be some cases where they're better off getting the the compensatory pick, which is usually a little bit after a first or second round than, than what they'd get for like a half year. Cause as we've seen, JD Martinez wasn't sent for a whole lot and but yeah, rentals just aren't worth a whole lot. So maybe they are better off, but, but I'm, I'm part of me likes it. Um, I, I want them to lose and be terrible, but you, you do you Royals. You're good. <laughs> so the Indians, uh, over the next months, uh, they're going to be racing the Royals one way or another, either hopefully ahead or maybe a little bit behind, but, um, the Indians have a brutal month of August coming up. We just saw them, Get get beat pretty bad by the Red Sox. They're going to wrap up that series. So here's the next series of teams they play, Jason. Red Sox, Yankees, Rockies, Rays, Twins, whatever. Royals, Red Sox, Royals again, and Yankees. That's ridiculous. Well, and you know, the, the, the stretch that you sort of shrugged off, Tampa Bay and Minnesota, is the beginning of a 10-game road trip. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's some really good teams mixed in there with a long road trip. Uh, you know, things lighten up significantly in September, but, 
yeah, I mean, you know, the Royals have on paper an easier schedule for the next three and a half weeks before the two teams face each other near the end of August. And, uh, you know, I looked at the Pocota standings, the Fangraphs projected standings. They both still have the Indians winning the division by something like six games, which is, you know, like I said, they uh, should still win the division. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Indians got to get through this next stretch. Even if they're sort of, you know, basically tied with Kansas City going into that series, they'd be in pretty good shape overall. But, uh yeah, we'll see. It could be a tough month. Is it too early uh, to say that the last half of the month could kind of decide the season there? Like, if they're terrible against the Royals, Red Sox, Royals again, and Yankees, is that it? And if they're great, is that pretty close to locking it in? Well, I mean, the Royals games are, of course, going to be huge. I mean, they've got those two three-game series against them, and then they've got four more games against them in September. Uh, you know, so they've got ten games against them. If the Indians win... You know, six of those ten games, they should be in good shape. But if if they go like three and seven against the Royals the rest of the way, then then yeah, then they've got to make up ground by beating teams like the Yankees and Red Sox. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, no particular stretch matters more than another particular stretch. But the Royals are the team who you know the games sort of count double now. Um, we'll see. Yeah, and as a fan who has to watch every night, I mean, watching while your team is ahead is way better than watching while you're behind. <laughs> like, especially in the last month, I would rather be like one or what is it? I'd rather be like three games up compared to like one behind. No, wait, I'd rather be one. Ahead, I don't know. <laughs> I'd rather be ahead than behind is what I'm saying, obviously, but, I but think it's so much harder. I don't know where my head is going with that. Not a magic number, like. <laughs> preferring to be ahead than behind is i think like the logical right default answer but yeah i mean it's it makes a huge difference as, as a fan watching i don't know what it does to players if they care really at all they always say we just go take care of our business but i'm sure at some point they're thinking about it and they realize they're they're playing from behind and they need to win compared to when you're ahead and you don't always need to win so i don't know it's going to be a rough week or a rough month and living in new york around yankees fan there's a couple series in there in particular that i really want to win because Otherwise, I'm going to hear about it for a long time. Um, so, yeah, this Red Sox series, I, I want them to win, but I don't care. But the Yankees won. I've had that circled for a while because I live around a bunch of Yankees fans. I've made a couple small bets at work <laughs> that I hope are not going to end poorly for me. Um, but over the next month, I guess we'll find out how the Indians do. So let's yep. let's go to a question real quick. Um, which one do we want to do? So how about Aaron Starkey on Facebook? He wants to know, are the defensive accolades of Gomes Perez worth the offensive hit? Or are we just biding our time until Mejia? Um, you want to take that one? So what do you think? Is it uh, We've talked about the first part. Of, I guess we've sort of talked about both. But is, is Gomes and Perez's defense worth it? And are we just sort of waiting around until Mejia's ready? Uh, I mean, I think primarily waiting around until Mejia's ready at this point. Um, Gomes, I feel like, you know, is hitting enough that as well as, you know, he limits the running game and as much as a pitcher's like working with him. Um, you know, I don't think he's like dead weight on the team, um, but he's not an ideal starter and really hasn't been for more than two years at this point. Uh, and Perez is fine as a backup. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't feel like the catching situation is going to sink the team this year. Uh, but I think Mejia, as soon as he's ready, 
uh, can push those two out of the way. I've said before, I think Mejia, you know, 12 months from now, Mejia, it's reasonable to think he could be the Indian starting catcher. Oh, yeah, for sure. As, as far as waiting for him, I think that's absolutely what's going on. If he, if he wasn't there, if it was like Logan Ice was the next catching prospect, I think the Indians, Indians would have tried to fix do something to fix their catcher situation this year. I really because they tried to last year with Mejia trading him, but now that they couldn't trade him, I assume they're just holding on to him because they know he's he's one year closer. He's like you said, basically here, maybe next year. So yeah, they're they're absolutely biding their time. Uh, Gomes and Prez probably are not the future of the Indians catcher position for the next decade. That that goes to Mejia and maybe like Eric Haas or something. But yeah, it's it's going to be exciting when it comes up. A switch hitting catcher. The, the big thing, as we always said, is defense. He could probably come up and hit pretty well right now, but he wouldn't be any good on defense. So. Next year from here, I think it'll be exciting. Um, at Spencer J. Gilmore, he wants to know, assuming Tomlin's injury is minor, what are the pros and cons of a six-man regular season rotation? Don't see us losing the AL Central with five or six starting pitchers. Um, I guess the pros, I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the pro is of a six-man rotation, really. If you, Unless you have six absolutely amazing catchers, you run into your cons really quick, which are fewer starts from your top pitcher. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I think... The only workable six-man rotation is like something where you would have Kluber pitching every five games, Carrasco pitching every five games, and then the other four guys you would like take turns skipping them. You know, so one time through Bauer would miss a start, and the next time through Tomlin would miss a start, or something like that. So, but even then, I mean, I guess the plus is you're you're getting more rest for those guys. Um, I don't think there's any study that shows an extra day of rest, like a true six-man rotation. I don't think there's any study that shows that actually helps pitchers. So it would really be more about guys still go every five games, but then your lesser pitchers, you know, get completely skipped one time and there's less wear and tear. Danny Salazar is someone who, you know, I think you can make a pretty good argument that uh, the less wear and tear on him, the better. He seems fragile. Um, you know, Bauer and Tomlin, there's a reasonable argument that you just don't want them pitching every five days. But again, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't, like you said, the, the pros certainly don't weigh, outweigh the cons. And certainly a true six man rotation where you have Kluber pitching every six game, I don't see any pro there. Yeah, it's worth noting that Josh Tomlin, we didn't mention his injury. He's out with a hamstring strain. He left a perfect game after four innings against the, um, was it the White Sox they were just playing? Yeah. So he had a perfect game going and was pulled and then ended up losing. And that was when the losing streak or when the winning streak ended and the Indians lost again. So clearly it's Josh Tomlin's fault for being injured that the Indians lost. But, but yeah, Tomlin was incredible in that game. And then he just, I was listening on the way home driving from out of town. And then all I heard was that they just came back from break and Tomlin was gone. <laughs> my first thought was, oh man, he's been traded. My second thought was, wait, no, wait, that's dumb. They wouldn't trade him. There's no reason to. So it was clearly he was injured. Um, it turns out right, it's a right hamstring strain. He's going to be out for at least 10 days. Uh, same thing Same thing. Jason Kipnis is out with. So I guess we'll see when he comes back. But um, are you? I don't think Josh Tomlin had a huge impact on what the Indians do with their rotation, but are you really worried about him being out for the long term for the Indians? No. I mean, the Indians have six guys I'm fine seeing starting right now. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't want Tomlin to be out for an extended period of time because then they'd be vulnerable to someone else getting hurt. Um, but if he misses a couple turns through the rotation, I don't really think it's a big deal. Um, you know, like you said, he was pitching well that game. 
he he pitches well not infrequently. His bat is pretty bad. Um, but in terms of like percentage of starts in which he's, you know, capable, uh, you know, I think it's it's pretty solid for a fifth starter. And I'll also add to this, um, Trevor Bauer, who generally sort of drives me nuts and I don't enjoy watching pitch. Um, but he did really, really well against the Angels in his one start last week. Uh, he pitched eight innings, which is, for Trevor Bauer, the equivalent of someone like Corey Kluber pitching about 11 innings. <laughs> First time all season, he's recorded an out in the eighth inning. Um, so, you know, I, I give Bauer a lot of grief when he's bad, and he's been bad a lot this year, but he, he pitched really well, and hopefully, hopefully – uh, you know, he sort of keeps that going. So is that true? Like, that was his first out in the eighth inning of the year? Yeah. I did not he know that. Oh, okay. seven inning. I mean, he only finished the seventh inning, I think, twice all year. So, I mean, three out of 20 starts that he's pitched seven innings, and this is literally the first time uh, that he recorded an out in the eighth inning. So uh, that doesn't say much about his season, but it was a good game. Yeah, and he still manages to drag out excruciating long starts, and he never gets <laughs> that long of a start. Um, at Nick Skolmuch, he wants to know, will we ever learn to appreciate Brian Shaw? Uh, every Indian fan should know Brian Shaw by now. Either you really love him or you really hate him, and <laughs> that's basically all there is. Um, I don't know how he became so polarizing, but every time he's on the mound, it's like a mini civil war on Twitter because at this point, people are so entrenched in their opinions of Brian Shaw. Like, if he went either way, I don't think the other side would acknowledge it. Like, if he started being terrible... I think the Brian Shaw fans would defend him until the very end. And if he started being great, the people who hate Brian Shaw would never acknowledge it. So I think he's somewhere in the middle and nobody can agree on that. So do you think we're ever going to appreciate Brian Shaw, Brian? Jason, God damn it. No, I mean, like you said, people's opinion of him is their opinion of him. I mean, it's, it's sort of silly to me that he has as many people who hate him. I mean, he's got a 2.9 ERA. His ERA with the Indians over five seasons is below three. Uh, he's pitched at least, I think his fewest innings is 64. I mean, he's not, he's below that right now, but he's on pace to finish this year with like 75 innings. So he's averaged like 70 innings a season out of the bullpen with a sub three ERA. It, there's no logical reason for so many Indians fans to have such a strong dislike for him. Uh, for whatever reason, his bad games, blown leads, big hits give up, given up, stand out for people a lot more than uh other pitchers seem to i'm i'm pro brian shaw he's he's frankly i don't at this point it's not the trevor bauer trade it's the brian shaw trade brian shaw has done much Ooh. more for the indians than trevor bauer is and trevor bauer is not going to catch him up is not going to catch up in value to the indians uh so just like you know michael brantley was the throw-in in the sabathia trade who turned out to be the big player they got back uh, Jan Gomes was the throw-in in the Mike Avila's trade and turned out to provide a lot more value, although it's been a while. Uh, Brian Shaw is the guy who provided value in the deal that brought Trevor Bauer to the Indians. So we're calling that right now? I'm calling that, yeah. No way. <laughs> no way Trevor Bauer will catch up to five good seasons of bullpen work that Brian Shaw has already done. Yeah, that's not – yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure some people just based on their – anti Brian Shawness would disagree, but I'm with you. I'm pro Brian Shaw. I just think it's amazing how many people, how polarizing of a player. He's got to be the most polarizing player on the Indians besides, I guess, Carlos Santana. But, I don't know. Interesting. Um, Brian Recolt on Facebook. He also wants to know, it's a weird one, kind of. 
If Santana is a free agent after this year, should we try to keep him or move Kipnis to first and rotate Jose and Gonzalez at second? So as as I'm sure you probably know, Jason, Carlos Santana is a free agent after this year. Um, do you think they try to keep him or do they move Kipnis over to first? I don't know where that one came from, but what do you think they do? Uh, I don't think Santana comes back. I mean, I love Santana, so I'd love to have him back. Um, I just feel like they're not going to be able to fit him in. Um, but I can't say moving Kipnis to first really makes any sense to me. He doesn't, on the whole, he doesn't really hit enough to be a first baseman. I mean, he, he'd have to be, you know, if you were like Todd Helton, Keith Hernandez defensively at first base, he hits enough to be that kind of first baseman, but it's pretty unlikely he'd be, you know, that. Um, and then I don't know why you're making, I mean, I don't know why the point, if the point of the move is to get Eric Gonzalez more time in the starting lineup, I think you have a bad, your, your goal is flawed. The, the goal should not be <laughs> Eric Gonzalez starting more. I mean, Eric Gonzalez is probably a fine, you know, backup infielder, but uh, if, you know, if it's not Santana, I would expect they just tell Edwin Encarnacion, like, hey, we want you at first base, you know, more often than you have been. Um and then, you know, maybe bring in an older bat to be the primary DH or rotate guys through it or something. But I Kipnis the first doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, I'm with you. If if they're yeah, it's, if anything could be Edwin playing first, like you said, and Kipnis stays at second. The only way I see Kipnis being bumped off anywhere is if you need to make like a huge acquisition for a third baseman that warrants bumping Jose Ramirez the second or something. I don't think they would go out and find a second baseman to replace Kipnis. And I don't think there's really any reason to move Kipnis to first. Um, that's just kind of the default, I guess, where people throw old players. They don't know where to put. And people should be prepared. The Indians are almost certainly not going to make a what feels like a big acquisition this offseason. Like Edwin Encarnacion was the big acquisition for the three years he's going to be here. Um, you know, the, the payroll, Santana becoming a free agent doesn't really free up any payroll because other guys just have raises coming. Like even if... You know, they let Santana go and everyone else comes back. The payroll would already end up being higher next year than it was this year. So, you know, I don't know if it's going to be – I don't know. The offseason's too far away for me to have given much thought to what next season's opening day lineup's going to look like. But I don't think there's going to be anyone that feels significant that's been brought in to be a part of it. Yeah, if anything, I think the Indians are going to kind of cross their fingers and hope that Nelly Rodriguez can at least be – like a serviceable stand-in until Robbie Bradley's ready. Like we'll kind of be biding our time at first base like we're doing a catcher now, which kind of sucks. But like you said, like they're bringing an older bat. They'll rotate Nelly Rodriguez in somewhere, just have DH by committee, something like that. But Edwin's going to be the first baseman. Jason Kim is the second baseman. It's just how it's going to be for a while. Um, do we have any other good questions? I'm trying to see. I think both the other ones are just kind of tied into trade deadline stuff and have kind of been discussed. Yeah, pretty much. So, So Jason, that's... That's what we got. We already talked about future games because it's it's a brutal stretch of games. But um, we just watched. Well, I watched the Indians get themselves handed to themselves against the Red Sox. However, that works. I don't know. It was brutal. I hope it doesn't continue. Uh, but anything exciting coming up for you, Indians wise, baseball wise, anything non baseball? Uh, I got to. I was at Friday night's game against the White Sox, which uh, was the one they won handily. That uh, Salazar. Uh, pitched pretty well, and my beloved Carlos Santana was among the guys to hit a home run. So 
that was the only ball game I'll get to here in my first baseball season as a father. So it was it was nice that they won and, and won in a way that I could just sit back and enjoy a couple of beers and not fret. Yeah, I've been to a couple. I mean, I've been to very few games, but I've been to like a tight game the whole time and one that was a blowout in the Indians' favor. I will definitely take the blowout in any situation. Watching on TV, I don't mind close games. But in person, I don't like watching close games. Well, in mean, a close game, if they end up winning, then in hindsight, it feels like it was great. But yeah, like in the moment, it's just kind of stressful. And yeah, uh, yeah, I'd much rather they they win nine to three when I'm there than take my chances with a close game. But no, coming up, just continuing to watch uh, Red Sox Yankees are not two of my or most Indians fans' favorite teams. So this will be. Either a very satisfying or an incredibly frustrating week. And uh, at this point, I think it's fair to scoreboard watch and uh, keep our eyes on Kansas City, who lost tonight. So the Indians are still up by two games. And I'll be happy with any size lead at the end of this week after playing good two good teams. You took my show under, Jason. I was going to mention that they lost and then tell everybody we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Jerk. But yes, the Royals just lost in the bottom of the ninth, so the division is safe. They can keep they can stop winning now. They've went all in. They've torched their farm system. You can stop now. But anyway, we'll talk to everybody else next week. See you then. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial Series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.